0: Good morning. How are we doing? We good? Ready for Christmas? Mixed emotions? All right. Well, it is the birth of Jesus. So. Uh, last week, we finished going through the book of Genesis. Hopefully, that was an edifying study for you. I know for me, it was it was a joy to work through that book. Uh, and then next week is Christmas, right? Next week is Christmas, and you should be excited about that. Hopefully, today, this morning, we can help your excitement with that. But I think it's fitting that We're going into Christmas after having worked through Genesis because in Genesis you get, uh, you get ground zero of the problem and in Jesus you get the solution. Uh, so we kind of were just there. We saw the chaos of sin. We saw the dysfunction in Genesis 3 when the fall happened. Uh, the curse and sin, a broken relationship between God and people. And if you remember the, the curses, one of them was uh, pain and childbearing. And I got to tell you this. We were sitting around as a family in the living room just kind of having those conversations that families do where you just don't know where topics are going and they come up. And Rudy, my youngest, my 12-year-old, said, when I have a baby, they're going to have technology where they can transfer the pain to my husband. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't laugh at that. Like, the, she didn't want technology that would just take the pain away. She's like, I want it taken and given to that man whom I love, like, just, like, where does that come from? You're 12, why are you thinking that way? But uh, there's a a curse, like, there's struggles, uh, there's sin. Uh, We see that so clearly in Genesis, but now, when it comes into Christmas, like, oh, the solution. And not only do you see the problem and the solution, but you see the promise and the fulfillment. Because remember what happened in Genesis 3? After the fall, God gave a promise, a prophecy, that there's going to come a seed, a descendant from Eve. Uh, And he's going to crush the head of the serpent. You're going to wound him, but he's going to destroy you. Uh, And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He is the seed of Eve that crushes the head of the serpent. He was wounded on the cross, but he he won. He was victorious. Uh, And and we get a chance to look at this in Advent. Advent just means coming. Coming. It's a time for us to focus on the coming of the Lord, but there's an Advent season. Advent uh, is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, so we're kind of at the tail end of this. Um, but Advent is a time for Christians uh, to identify with the waiting for this promise to come, this promised Messiah, the Savior to come. Uh, and there's been a long way. If you, if you struggle waiting from Thanksgiving to Christmas, you see kids struggling from that waiting, well, try waiting from Genesis 3 to Jesus. It's this is long awaited savior and there 's intention in the waiting, but waiting is hard waiting is hard we, we, we hate. Waiting this is a difficult thing. Uh, if you're watching a movie that you're streaming and that little circle comes up, that's buffering. Like you hate that, right? This is we're frustrated. This is interruption. We don't like waiting. Um, waiting for fast food is really frustrating. You ever been there? It's like I don't know if this is fast food, and you're just kind of. It's been like four minutes. Like relax. But we're just we don't like to wait. We don't like waiting at all. I don't travel a lot. I did travel just recently. Uh, waiting on the airplane when you're not going to to taxi, taxi to get you that is the worst like it's like I already do not fit in these seats I can't go another five minutes like just get me off this plane Um, but you got to wait and they come over it's like just a few more minutes like you said that 30 minutes ago Um, (laughs) we are frustrated and waiting this past week I went to the doctor and you, you feel like oh you got me in right away you didn't get me in you just moved me to a different room I sat in that room for like 30 minutes. alone. I, find, I don't know if you're supposed to do this. I, I opened the door and went out in the hallway. Just like, I feel like somebody forgot me. I'm in there. Um, but, but we hate waiting. It's, it's frustrating. Uh, we love efficiency. Like, let's do it fast. Let's get it there. But waiting uh, is something that we're called to do. And it's, it's challenging. And you think, who would make somebody wait intentionally? Like, that seems cruel. But it's also part of God's plan. That we would wait for him. Like this is a passage in Romans 5. This is verse 6. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right, what, time Christ died for the ungodly. He's saying, hey, there's a lot of times, it's like, why didn't Jesus come at this time? Why didn't he come at this time? He's saying, no, at the right time, the time I had ordained, the time that I had planned, that was the right time that he came. And that right time involved Waiting. Well, what about for Jesus' second coming? Here's a passage in Matthew 24. It says, "But concerning that day and hour, this is talking about the return of Jesus, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only." Saying, so "Oh, but, but the Father knows, and there is a day, and there is an hour, and that involves us waiting. Like waiting is an intentional time uh, for our Christian life, and it can be challenging. It can be hard. Sometimes waiting can be scary." Depending on what you're waiting for. Have you ever heard somebody say to you, wait till your father gets home? Right? Have you ever said that? Okay, so like, everybody chuckled that they heard that, but nobody said that? You didn't want to admit that in church? Like we say, wait till your father gets home. And usually it's not like, because he's bringing candy. That's not where the term is. Like you know what that means. And it's like that produces something. That kind of waiting is like fearful, worried. I don't know what's going to happen. Like that kind of waiting produces those kind of emotions. But what about a little girl waiting for her wedding day? What about a little kid waiting for Christmas? What does that produce? And waiting is perhaps a little bit more important part of christianity we realize it's intentional god intentionally has us waiting and there's purpose behind the waiting so you can put it this way waiting is an important part of our christianity it's a very important part of our christianity in fact it's highlighted several places throughout scripture but here's here's a few And not only creation, because he just got done saying creation is waiting for all redemption. But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we what? Eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we what? We wait for it with patience. Here's another passage. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Here's another one. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to... Wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. He's saying, you turning from idols and you waiting, that's kind of the same thing. This this waiting is part of describing your Christianity. Here's one more. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly what? Yeah, waiting for him like that in Hebrews nine, waiting, eagerly waiting for him is a description of people who would get saved. Like this is a description of genuine faith, like people who are eagerly waiting for them. Jesus, in fact, he told a parable about the importance of waiting one time. This is in Matthew twenty-four, I believe, twenty-four twenty-five. Um, about uh, it's called the ten virgins. Now, virgin, word virgin just meant like a young unmarried woman, but there was this wedding. And there's these 10 young ladies that were a part of this wedding. uh, And they were going to be the reception. They were going to go out and wait for the groom. And Jesus said, five of them were smart. And five of them were dumb. He said, wise and foolish. But that's what he meant. (laughs) And it's like, the wise ones, the smart ones, they they brought with with them some extra oil. But the dumb ones, they didn't. They just lit their lamps and they went out. Well, the groom was delayed. And they had to what? Wait. And they all fell asleep. But then when the groom came... They got up, and the ones that had their extra oil, they trimmed their lamps, and they filled up, and they're like, we're ready. But the ones that didn't have the extra oil, it's like, hey, can you give us some? And like, well, no. We brought enough for us, but we didn't bring enough for you. Go back and get some. And they had to go back and get some, but by the time they came back, the party was already started, and the doors were shut. And he said, hey, there's something wise about living with anticipation for the coming of Jesus, and there is something foolish about Not. I mean, that was kind of the message of his parable. But waiting is probably an underestimated important part of our Christian life that we just don't give much thought to. Waiting is, um, has value, and we hate waiting, so I think maybe we've lost the sense of value or the role that it plays in our Christian life. Waiting is a good thing, hard thing. But waiting is a good thing. It's a helpful thing if you do it right. If you understand it. So we can say, what is the Bible calling us to when it talks about us waiting for our Christian life or in our Christian life? In fact, waiting may be the missing ingredient to your godliness, to your faithfulness, to your obedience. And you may sit there and think, no, I just have a greed problem. I got a selfish problem. I got a lust problem. I got an insecurity problem. You know, I got whatever problem. And that may be true on one level. But if you dig deeper... Most likely, you have a waiting problem, and we need to become better waiters on the Lord for the sake of our own godliness. So, turn to me, uh, turn with me to the famous Christia- uh, Christmas text of Titus chapter two. You laugh, your Bible people. You're like, I don't, that's not really a Christmas text. Uh, it is. You're wrong. Bear with me. All right. So, Titus chapter two, uh, starting in verse eleven. And the first word in verse 11 is for. Now before we jump into that, uh, I just want to give you some context. Because we're really going to only look at three verses. Uh, But the context leading into that, because there's a word for, like a transition word, what is he talking about? Well, Paul's writing this letter to Titus. And before this, he's giving instructions uh, to older men. He's giving instructions to older women. He's giving instructions to younger women, uh, to younger men, uh, to bond servants or employees. And he's saying, hey, this is how we're to live Out our godly lives in front of other people. And at the end of verse 10, he says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And that word adorn is where we get our word like cosmetics. Like I want you to make it beautiful. Like the way that you live your life is going to make the truth of God beautiful to our world. For, and then he gets into the motivation for godliness. He says, for the grace of God has appeared. You see it? That's Christmas. You're like, oh, it is. The grace of God appeared in Jesus Christ. And what do we call that? Christmas. That's a Christmas text. This is a Christmas text, All right? So now we're all on the same page. Merry Christmas. For the grace of God has appeared. That's Christmas. Bringing salvation for all people. That's Luke 2, right? The angels coming before the shepherds. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. That's why he came. So you get right away in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. So here we go. Verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting... For our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in these three verses, you have the first coming of Jesus, Christmas. And you have the second coming of Jesus, his, his return. So in verse 11, that he appeared, um, has appeared, past tense, this, this coming of the Lord in flesh, Jesus Christ. And then you get down to verse 13, um, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of mean, in the future uh, when he's going to come back again. So you get the first and the second coming in these three verses, and what is in between those two is our transformation. That we're renouncing ungodliness, worldly passions, uh, living self controlled, upright, and godly lives. You're just talking about our transformation. That, that, we're, that we're trained. They were trained to do that. Well, the question is how does that happen? How does his appearing to bring salvation train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled godly lives in this present age? How does that happen? How How does his appearing to bring salvation, his first coming, Christmas, train us to be more godly people? How does that happen? Does Christmas help you be more godly? Honestly. Or do you feel like Christmas is like the worst time of year for your godliness? Like just greed gets bigger like, my wife, she gets me on this all the time because it's like, hey, let's shop for our kids. And I'm like, right, oh, let's shop for me. Let's do that. How about that instead? Like, well, here's my list. I think we can we squeeze that in there? And we agreed this year. We said, we're not going to get each other any presents. Fine. But then she told me, this is just between us. She's not in the service. <laughs> and the millions watching. No, I don't know. <laughs> she said, like, hey, I went over budget a little bit on all three of our kids. I'm like, time out. You went over budget on all three of our kids, and you don't have any room to get me a present? Like, that's where our attitude, that's it's like, maybe you're like, Jake's got problems. Okay, you have problems too, I'm just talking about my problems. But, we're like greedy at this time of year, it's like, give me stuff, I want stuff. Or gluttony at this time of year? Oh my, like, I'm just saying, Christmas as a time of like, elevated godliness, no, like, we bump into our worldliness so much in this time of year. But he's saying, no, Christmas should actually train you. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So are we missing something here? How how does that happen? And let me just read. I'm going to tag verse 14 on as well to kind of complete the thought. But let me read our whole section. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself, a people of his own possession. Now remember that phrase because we're going we're gonna to jump to Revelation 19 uh, towards the end. And you'll kind of see that get played out. Who are zealous for good works. He's talking about his people. Christians were zealous for good works. And, and we've learned to renounce or we've, we've been instructed or trained to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Like, okay, well, how? How? And, and in this, you're like, wh- let's look at the verbs and wh- what are things are connected to one another. Waiting is a part of the training. Like When you understand what we're being called to, waiting is a part of the training. He's saying, listen, Christ's first appearing to bring salvation trains us to renounce Ungodliness and all those other things because it produces in us a waiting for his second coming. It produces in us a waiting for his second coming, like a hopeful, confident waiting, because the first time he came. Like his first coming produces in us a confidence of this expectant uh, that he'll come again. Because his first coming, that happened. Like promises were fulfilled, he showed up, prophecies were fulfilled. He fed 5,000 people with some fish and some loaves. He raised people from the dead. He gave the blind their sight. He healed cripples. He was killed and yet rose again and the tomb's empty. So all of that that unfolded, like that happened. So the fact that that happened kind of just fuels my confidence that you're going to be faithful again despite the waiting... That you're going to come again, and you're going to do what you said, and your your prophecies will be fulfilled. And it kind of boosts our confidence that His Word is true. And the fact that that we have more confidence that it will happen, that affects our emotions. And our emotions affect our behaviors. We're living different. Like, because of that, we're renouncing ungodliness. Like, I'm living for that day. You, You put it this way. An expectant hope for Jesus trains us to live for Jesus. An expectant hope for Jesus to come someday trains us to live for Jesus today. Waiting is an action. And we we forget that. It seems counterintuitive because we think when we're waiting, we're just doing nothing. Well, you're not doing nothing. You're waiting. And waiting's not nothing. Waiting's waiting. Waiting is an intentional, important part of our godliness and our growth. We're called to wait. Now, waiting for something is when something in your future that, that you're expecting is occupying your mind, for good or bad. For good, it's like something you're excited about that's producing you hope, anticipation, joy, excitement, and that will affect how you live. Or for negative, something that you're not looking forward to produces worry and fear and anxiety, and that also affects how you live. So Waiting is not something that you just default to. There's intentionality behind it. Listen, just because something is in your future doesn't mean you're waiting for it. Just because something's in your future doesn't mean you are actively waiting for it. Like, I know something that is in all of your future. You're going to put gas in your car. <laughs> but none of us in here are, like, waiting for that to happen. Now, unless on your way here your light came on and now it's like, I need to do that, and you have plans to get gas on your way home, so it's kind of expecting in your future, yeah, maybe you're waiting for that. But that's in our future, and you're not, like, actively waiting for that to happen. How many people in here are 30 or under? Okay. You know what's in your future? A colonoscopy. (laughs) (coughs) I'm just saying. That's in your future. And none of us are, like, none of you are, like, like, actively waiting for that. You might be now. You're stressing about it. Like, don't. You got time, right? But that is in your future, but that doesn't mean, like, that's what you're waiting for. But if you're in your 20s, maybe something you're waiting for is that proposal, right? You've been dating a while. You've kind of talked about it. It's Christmas season. Like, maybe now's the time. Like, there's some information that has you expectant for that. Or maybe you're engaged and you're waiting for your wedding day. You're talking about it like it's in your future. It's occupying your mind. It's feeding your emotions, or maybe if you're 55, 60, something you're waiting for is retirement. Like it's in sight. You know the date. You've worked out the math. You're looking forward to that. You're excited about it. It's producing emotions in you that's shaping your demeanor and you live your life out of that demeanor. Or maybe if you're a kid, something you're excited about, a student that you're waiting for is Christmas break, Right? Just a few more days, like three days of school, and then Christmas break. Like you see it, you can anticipate it, you're waiting for it. Listen, waiting is the action between what we're expecting to happen and what we're expecting to happen happening. And waiting involves expectation. I'm expecting my food to come. And I'm hungry and I'm waiting for it. I'm expecting my spouse to come home at this time. We've talked. This you, and I'm, I'm waiting for that. I have an expectation that this is going to happen. And I'm waiting for it. It involves expectations. And expectations shape our emotions. Because what I'm expecting, I'm excited about. I'm looking forward to. It. It's good news. So it's producing excitement and joy and anticipation in me. And I'm living out of those emotions. Or what I'm expecting is dreadful. It's bad news, and I'm not looking forward to it. And it's producing in me fear and anxiety and worry that I'm living out of those emotions. But it does shape how you live. So let me ask you this question Are you waiting for Jesus? Are you waiting for his return? Do you have an expectation for his return? Now, I'm not asking, do you believe in the doctrine of the return of Jesus Christ? You've already established there can be something in your future that you're not technically or actively waiting for. I'm not asking, do you believe that someday Jesus will return? I'm saying, are you waiting for that? Do you have an expected longing for the return of Jesus Christ? Or have you just kind of moved on? It doesn't really occupy your mind. You never really think about that. And if you never really think about that, it doesn't produce any kind of emotions in your heart of excitement, anticipation, and you never live your life out of those emotions. Guys, I think too many Christians have lost an eager anticipation for the return of our Lord. Not that you don't believe it, but we've lost an eager anticipation for the return of our Lord. We're excited about other things. We're expecting of other things. I can't wait for the big game. I can't wait for the family to come over. I can't wait for the presents. I can't wait for the vacation. And I'm not saying those things are wrong to be excited about, but have they drowned out something more glorious than all those other things? And we've lost just this eager expectation for the return of the Lord. We don't really think about it. Look, If the eager, joyful anticipation of the return of Jesus is not there, that's more detrimental to your godliness now than you realize. Look, look back at verse 13. Or let's look at 11 through 13. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, ungodly lives in the present age, waiting for for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is the first coming, Christ's first appearing, Christmas, gives us a confidence of a second coming, which produces in us a waiting, or maybe your translation says a looking. And the, the emotion behind that is a blessed hope. Blessed just means like happy, joyful. This produces like this This waiting for Jesus' return, this looking, for this active like longing for Jesus' return kind of produces in us this, this joyful hope, this joyful expectation. And you put that all together, the point he's making is the Lord's first coming produces in us a joyful anticipation for his second coming, which trains us. It trains us to renounce ungodliness because a joyful anticipation for his second coming says, well, that's what I'm living for. So I can say no to this because I'm saying yes to this. I don't have to get tangled up in this because I'm so captivated by that. That's, that's how it trains us. He says this, this Having this anticipation for Jesus' return that creates in you an excitement, you start living out of that, guess the result? Godliness. It makes it easier to say no to the world when you have a better one coming. See how that teaches you something? See how it instructs you, it trains you? Look how he describes verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you think he's excited? Just by the way he says that. This blessed hope, the glory, the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Like he's a bit pumped. He's excited. Here's how Paul talks about it in other places. Philippians 3, 7, 8 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's saying, Christ Jesus, the knowing Him, surpasses all other things. I'm more excited about that. In fact, earlier in Philippians, you guys are probably familiar with the line he says, For me to live as Christ and to die as what? Gain. It's like it's better to be with Jesus. This is, He says this further down. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the prize. That's what I'm living for. Here's another passage. We showed you this one last week. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What's coming is better Here's what he says in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. How does he know that? Because he compared it. It's like I'm going through all this junk and this struggle. But you know what? When I hold it up next to what's coming, it doesn't compare and this is better. That's what I'm living for. And Paul, no one just says these verses, he lived them. He was trained in his own godliness because he was more excited about what was to come than what he was going through currently. And that kind of passion fueled his godliness. Or you can put it this way, like um, Hebrews 9 and 8 puts it like this. You are eagerly waiting for that day. Like they add that eagerly in front of it. Like you're just not waiting. You are eagerly waiting. Is that true of you? Are you eagerly waiting for the day of the Lord, for his return? Because, guys, listen, waiting for Jesus is the key to following Jesus. That's what you need to remember. And maybe you've never connected those dots. Like waiting is just something you do by default. No, there's an action to it. And its action is more important than you realize. Waiting for Jesus is key to following Jesus. And when we say waiting, we're saying have an active, eager anticipation, a longing for his return. That's the key to renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions and living self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Have this eager expectation for the return of Jesus. So do you, you think about it, sometimes you just kind of shut your eyes and imagine what that would be like, just get filled with hope and excitement and joy, and then go live out of that? Or does it never really occupy your mind? Because what he's saying here is like, you need to use good news to train you for good behaviors. Use good news to train you for good behaviors. We tend not to do that. We try to use good behaviors to train us for good behaviors. Don't do it. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. Now you know, do it. And you're like, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying all the time. I fail. I know you're trying. But he's not talking about trying here. What's he talking about? Training. And there's a difference between trying and training. He's saying, if you want to just try, good luck. But here's how you train. Here's how you train to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. You think about the good news of Jesus Christ and his return. You get stoked by God's faithfulness that he came to bring salvation. You get stoked on the confidence that he's coming again to make all things new. You let the good news of the gospel shape good behavior in your life. Stop just trying to be good and start training for it and use the gospel to train your behavior. Waiting for Jesus is the key to following Jesus. In fact, guys, one of the best things that we could do for our godliness is increase our anticipation for Christ's return. One of the best things you can do for your godliness is increase your anticipation, your excitement for Christ's return. And we live in this period, like this verse expresses, in between his first coming and his second coming. And we're able to look back at his first coming, Christmas, and be reminded of God's faithfulness. That he appeared to bring salvation. and That happened. And because that happened, how much more confidence do we have that he's coming back to do what he said he will do? Because he's already done it. He's already shown his faithfulness. And out of that flow, it should affect our lives. Christmas should affect your godliness. Not the season, but the event. The event Christ came God is faithful. He's coming back. Think about it. So it like warms your heart and then live out of those emotions. But the season has an impact as well. Advent, the season, is a time of refreshing or waiting. It's like a mini example of what our life should look like. Like this, it's a a wonderful time of the year. There's excitement behind it. Is it not? There's anticipation to it. There's excitement behind it. But every year, there's also, there's this huge letdown, right? Can we say that at this time of, like, it's before Christmas? Can we just be honest? Like, you have all this buildup. We made all this food. We made all this plans. We spent all this money. We got all these presents, uh, and we're excited. And then the moment the last present is open, you're kind of like, all right, well, we're going to pick all this up, and we've got a tree to get rid of. Why do we put a tree in our living room? we got to burn that or find some way to dispose of that. Now we've got to put Legos together. I don't even know where the directions are. It's just like... When are these families going to leave? Like, I ate way too much, right? You just kind of feel like you're, You can admit it. Like, you're sitting next to family. It's awkward now. But there's a letdown. There's a letdown after Christmas because there's such this anticipation and then it just kind of, okay, you're going to feel it. You're going to down me now. Come, you're like, send me an email. You were right, Jake. It's the 25th major letdown. Because it's just a shadow. We don't, Wait for Christmas. We wait for Jesus. We wait for Jesus. And this is just a reminder. Like we're waiting for our Lord. We're waiting for Him to come. And when He comes, there will be no letdown. And waiting is hard. We don't like it. But waiting has this ability to highlight something's value. Just like telling a young couple dating, like, hey, when it comes to sex, wait for marriage. Because you're saying there's something just really valuable about sexual intimacy between two people. You might say it's worth the wait. It expresses its value. Or, Or let's say you couldn't see your family for three months because you were away on tour in the military. Wouldn't that time away in your own heart kind of increase the value of the people you love? I can't wait to see my wife and kids. I can't, can't wait to be home. Wouldn't that like increase the value in your own heart? So let me ask you this. Would we really know the value of God if we were not separated from him? If we were not made to wait for him? If, what if our waiting we're being taught to treasure God? We just got done going through Genesis, and, and perhaps you remember this. Um, we kind of made a joke about it before, but I want to revisit it and show you like, there's actually some really deep meaning behind it. But if you remember back in Genesis 2, Adam had to wait for Eve. Like, Adam was made first, and then Eve, but between that time, Adam was given a task. By God. To name all the animals. So Adam. Who does not have a helper suitable for him. Is told to like. Get you know. He's like paraded all these animals. before him. Like why don't you name all these animals. And it's like. Then. After going through all of that. He's like. There's nobody for me. Like there's no helper suitable for me. And then God makes Eve. If you can remember it adam's reaction like how treasured eve was right and you'd be like well if you date some animals you'll really like the real thing right <laughs> but there's actually some really profound meaning in this story when he doesn't find a su- a helper suitable for him you you get that and how it plays out you kind of get the whole story of the bible And scripture uses wedding language, marriage language. We're talking about Christ and his people. Like we were made to be with God. We were made to enjoy God. We were made to be satisfied with God. We were made to be relationally connected to God. And what happened to Adam happens to us. Adam was in need of a helper. So God was like, well, let me take care of that. And in his goodness, he provided a helper suitable for him. But before he did that, he said, well, Adam, let's get a little project for you. Because I want you to treasure what I'm about to give you. So I went, why don't we name these animals first? And for us, we're in need of a Savior. The seed of Eve. And God was like, well, let me take care of that. But not right away. Let me give you the first seed of Eve. Cain. Is this it? Is this the promise? I know it's not Cain. What about Noah? Is it Noah? Oh, no, it's not Noah. I didn't go too well. All right. Well, what about Abraham? Is this Abraham? Oh, no, it's not Abraham. What about Isaac? He's the promised son. Like This is the one. Is it Isaac? No, it's not Isaac. What about Jacob? It's got to be Jacob, right? Is Jacob? <laughs> no. No, it's not Jacob. How about Joseph? Jo- Joseph, he, he's the one. He brings the whole family to Egypt. It, jo- it's going to be Joseph, isn't it? Ah, it's, it's not Joseph. We wait more, more years in slavery. Okay, it's Moses. He's our deliverer. Ah, it's not Moses. He didn't even get to go in the promised land. All right, what about Joshua? Is it Joshua? He takes us into the promised land. No, it's not. It's not Joshua. We need a king. We need our Messiah. We need our rescuer. How about Saul? He's head and shoulders above everybody else as a king, Saul. No, that didn't go well. It's not Saul. What about David? It's a man after God's own heart. It's gotta be David, right? But even David failed. What about his son Solomon? No one's as wise as Solomon. No, it's not Solomon. He kind of got sidetracked. What about his kid, Rehoboam? No, definitely not Rehoboam. Like, way, <laughs> way bad there. Kingdom split, divide all kinds of mess. What are these? Is it Elijah? Like, do you see what Elijah can do? It, oh, it's not Elijah. He just goes away in a chair. Is it Elijah then? Is it him? Like, no, it's not him. What about Jeremiah or Daniel or Zeke? Like, who is it? Is it these guys? It's like, no, it's not. John the Baptist. It's been a while. John's here. People are going out to... J- John is preaching. Like, John, the people are turning. Is it John... It's not John. Then you get Jesus. A suitable savior. Like we were shown a bunch of incompatible saviors until Jesus. So how treasured should Jesus be? And Adam's response to Eve is similar to John the Baptist's response to Jesus. When Adam sees Eve, he's like, oh, flesh of my flesh, bone, like this is it. And when John sees Jesus, he's like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. Like, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been waiting for and longing for. And just like Adam was not compatible with animals, sinners are not compatible with a holy God. But what does God do? He becomes compatible. He took on sinful flesh. He became a human. He became a helper fit for us. He became a savior suitable for us. Or if you want to stay with the animal theme, we all like what have gone astray? Isaiah 53. Like what have gone astray? Sheep. And Jesus became what? The Lamb of God. Compatible. And then you get to Revelation 19 and you have the marriage or the wedding feast of the Lamb. Here's what it says in Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready in the waiting. We'll get to that. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So we are made the bride of Christ through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. But we are made ready, adorned, beautiful for our our Savior through our righteous deeds. Our zealous good works is what it says back in Titus 2 that, that we've been trained for in our waiting our longing for our wedding day with our Savior, living for that day, which pleases Him and prepares for us for that moment. Are you excited for that moment? Are you living for that moment? See, longing for Jesus' return, it, it trains us, it teaches us, it, it instructs us to live for Him. So are you waiting for Jesus? When your mind goes to the return of Christ, what does your heart do? When your mind goes to the return of Christ, what does your heart do? Are you longing for his return? And not, hear me now, not, yeah, I can't wait to get out of this messed up world. You don't have to love Jesus to say that. But is your, is your attitude and your posture like, I can't wait to see my Savior. I can't wait for that day. I, I, can't, I can't wait for it. In Advent, we get this reminder, this refresher in how we're to live like a kid between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Eager anticipation. Guys, we're not waiting for Christmas. We're waiting for Jesus. We're waiting for Jesus with eager, joyful anticipation. And when we do, that's when real change happens. That's when those emotions, that excitement trains us to live for him, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live for him. My prayer is that we would be a people, this isn't complicated, but it's life-changing, that we would be a people more than anything else just long for that day. I can't wait for that day. I believe in that day. I live every day with that day in mind. And church, as we get ready to take communion and we remember that Christ's body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us, it's in this act that we can look for his return with joyful anticipation and not terror and dread because he's coming to bring judgment. But because of the cross, he took that judgment, and now we can look forward with anticipation that I'll be reunited with my maker, my savior who has made for And that's possible because of Jesus and his sacrifice. And Paul instructs us that every time we do this, every time we take communion, do this in remembrance until the Lord returns. But but maybe when you think of communion, the return of the Lord is the last thing on your mind. You're thinking rightly about Christ's sacrifice. You're rightly thinking about your sin. You're examining yourself as you ought to. But I would invite you in this moment, in this practice today and going forward that the return of Jesus is never far from your mind and and you're you're aware that his sacrifice makes possible for you to have hopeful, a blessed hope and anticipation for that day and you would begin to live for it. It would warm your heart with excitement and out of that kind of excitement it would train you to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live for something better. His return. Amen? Amen? And Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would remind us of how foolish it is to not live with readiness and anticipation for you and your return. That you would give us an excitement and a joy for the day of your return, and it would shape our emotions, we would love it, we would long for it, and out of that it would shape our behavior that we would live for you. pray this in your name. Amen.